0: Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times, Episode 3. Hi, this is Karen Chenoweth from the Education Trust. With schools closed all over the country because of the coronavirus pandemic, educators are scrambling to operate in a completely new context, which is part of what makes these such extraordinary times for all of us. So, what are educators doing? That's what we're exploring in this podcast. From my social distancing home, I am talking with school and district leaders who I know to be thoughtful and effective educators. In our first episode of this series, I talked with John Daniel, superintendent of Cottonwood Public Schools in rural Oklahoma, which was featured in season two of the Extraordinary Districts podcast. In our second, I talked with Vincent Romano, principal of Malvern High School in Malvern, New York, which I wrote about in my book, Schools That Succeed, published by Harvard Education Press. Today, April 13th. I'm talking with another principal who I wrote about in Schools That Succeed, Sergio Garcia, principal of Artesia High School in the ABC Unified District in Los Angeles County, California. Mr. Garcia became principal of Artesia in 2005 when the school was a bit of a mess. Behavior was out of control, teacher morale was low, and achievement and graduation rates were abysmal. Today, Artesia graduates 95% of its students, most of whom go on to enroll in two or four year college and its students score in the top 20% of students in California in reading achievement. Although ABC Unified District is a fairly middle-class district, Artesia is not. 75% of the students at Artesia come from low-income families, about 70% are Hispanic and 10% are African-American. So Sergio Garcia has led enormous improvement. I'm eager to hear how he and his school are coping with the new realities. Mr. Garcia, welcome. Thank you. First of all, I hope you and your family are safe and able to isolate yourselves.
1: We are actually, we're having a lot of fun. That's why I didn't look at your email earlier (laughs) this week. Um, We're playing volleyball every day and running around with the dogs. Uh, doing do, running, doing anything and everything we can to social distance ourselves. So you have two daughters, I think? I have two daughters. I have a junior in college. there will be a senior next year, finishing her junior year in very strange ways. And then a freshman in college uh, who is also finishing her freshman year in a strange way with this whole COVID-19 situation.
0: You know, that just... Uh... Brings to mind that it's been several years since I've been out to Artesia because your girls were younger then.
1: <laughs> they were little kids by then, I
0: remember. <laughs> so um, did did the description of Artesia, is that, did I get it all right? Except
1: that now we have the highest graduation rate in the district, even though we're the only urban school. We are graduating at 98.7%. Oh my, and you went up. We actually, we went up. We have uh, performed the other suburban schools in the district and we like to brag about it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, ABC Unified closed early uh, compared to the rest of the country. Uh, uh, California closed a lot of its dist- uh, schools early. So that was March 16th. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So did you know then that you probably wouldn't open again for the school year? I
1: had a feeling. I happen to have a wife who works at a hospital. She's a nurse manager, she's a nurse practitioner at Children's LA. So I was getting a lot of the information earlier and kind of hearing what um, basically our first responders were hearing as what was what was going on. I actually thought at the beginning, maybe we'll be back in May, that May will be a, a safe time to return. And later on, I think after about a week of being closed, I knew for a fact that we were not coming back. So how did you spend that first week? It was a scramble. I can tell you that first week was was an incredible scramble. We were figuring out how we were gonna pass out uh, computers for kids. Our kids do not have computers at home. They also don't have internet. So we had to get a whole of hotspots and our district did an incredible job of acquiring hotspots. We knew probably around Wednesday of the week before that this may be coming. And our district scrambled and they got a thousand hotspots out there. And we we came out with a procedure to hand out computers to our kids. We were still not doing social distancing, so it was a lot easier to get the kids in, get the computers out to them. But um, the first week was really, I think by Wednesday of the first week, we had to issue over 300 computers to our students. Uh, We had to issue hotspots. Um, we were trying to figure out what we we're going to do with the staff. The staff was sitting at home and we still have a large group of in a, at school and little by little. We have been uh, sending more and more people home. So now you we still have, have people serving. at school. We still have people at school. We still have op- an operation. We're passing out lunches and that's a huge or- ordeal. Believe it or not, we're serving about 621 people uh, in a daily basis. Um, we and have you're a doing drive-by it from s- the
0: school?
1: We're doing it from the school. We're one of four five schools that are open to hand out lunches. And we actually are doing drive-by basis. So the people pull that in their cars, they open their trunk, and we're putting bags of food in there. Now we're doing it twice. We're down to doing it twice a week, but we're more multiple meals on that day. So we're giving three sets of meals at a time, or four days of meals at a time sometimes so that they only have to come up twice. And it is, that's a, uh, a mad process at times.
0: So you've solved the computer problem. You've solved the food problem. What, like, are you doing instruction? How, how is we're that working? You know, it's, it's a saga. I can tell you that it's a journey as, as we're kind of
1: going to instruction. We have both sides of the spectrum. You have kids that, like, I'm sorry, teachers that are being very easy and very nice with the kids and the amount of work that they're doing. And you have others that want to give assignments every single day, and additionally, add homeworks. And to that, my response is, just remember that whenever you took a computer class online in college, you took a computer class anywhere, you took one at a time or two at a time. We have a block schedule, so we're providing our kids with eight computer classes online, and- You've got to be sensitive to that. I think that's a learning curve for our teachers. Um, it's probably a little bit easier for me because I see both of my daughters scrambling to get online with their respective universities. And I see the amount of work that they're getting. And at times I see some of my teachers giving more than my daughters in college are getting. And one of them is pre-med. So she's pre bombarded with stuff. But sometimes we're giving a lot more. So it's getting the teachers to slow down. Taking a no harm approach with grading. The reality for me is there is no way we're going to be able to cover all the material we would have if we're doing this face-to-face. There's no way the quality of instruction is going to be the same. We can try and we should be trying to do it. But at the same time, I will tell you that we have to come to the realization that when the kids come back to us, we're going to have to do a lot of recovery, more than we usually do. We're going to have to do some of the curriculum that we're teaching now. We're going to have to redo that. Because there is no way for the teachers to cover all that. Plus, we're not using Zoom. We're not u- using Google Meet. Everything is being done in chat rooms and through Google Classroom. Um, we're hoping that next week, when we come back from this is spring break, by the way, when we come back from spring break, we'll be able to use Google Meet and do some on the, uh, video instruction.
0: So you're not using Zoom. We're not using Zoom. Uh, is that because of editing. the security problems? Because of the security problems as well as you,
1: we're dealing with a lot of minors. You're looking into people's homes. And a lot of times our students don't have the best judgment as to where they're going to be sitting to do a Zoom class. It's also exposing teachers to several pieces of that whole video conferencing, as in, where are they sitting? What are they saying? Who's recording them? So we're establishing all that, putting all those policies in place, and then we will start using uh, video
0: conferencing. Okay. Um, so I know that you're very focused on graduation, on making sure your students have the right number of credits, um, and that they not just accumulate credits, but are prepared for college. And how, how are you managing all that? Um, I think that's part of the
1: struggle. The struggle is getting people to continue with the same breaker continue with the same level of instruction that they had before. And simultaneously, making sure they're sensitive to what's happening. Um, California Department of Ed last week came out with a recommendation to go to a pass fail system. I think that's a great idea. Our district has not adopted that yet. We're waiting for a board meeting and we'll see what the school board decides to do. But my recommendation is that we go to a pass-fail system so that the kids, again, with a no harm policy, that it's not the kids' fault that we're online. It's not their fault that we're sitting here in this situation. And we gotta be able to help them with this. The UCs, the University of California, as well as the Cal States, are taking a no harm approach also with the um, credits, as well as with the QPAs. Actually, they're not even looking at SATs, I believe uh, this year. So their seniors will not be affected. We want to take the same approach. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. I, uh, the principal at Malvern last week, we, we spoke with him last week. He, he wanted to acknowledge the hard work that kids had been doing up until this point. So, um, he didn't want to go to a complete pass fail, um, as a result. And I thought that was kind of interesting. So you can only improve your grade going forward online, but um, but the grades start at a certain point, um, reflecting the six weeks. And I, I wondered what you thought of that. Um, I think that
1: I, if a kid really wants to petition to get a letter grade, we're gonna allow that to happen. But the reality is that nobody's looking at those grades. Nobody's gonna look at that anything else there. And to put those undue pressures in our kids When they're sitting in a household with 10 other people, and it's probably a one or two bedroom house with 10 other people with another place to learn, they're probably the ones taking care of their kids, their little brothers and sisters, if the parents are going to work. we got to really understand the reality of what they're sitting in. We, I keep on telling people this, we serve a little third world country inside the United States. we got to realize the conditions that our kids are living in, and we're hearing from them. I have several kids email me, and they, when I told you about the 10 kids, that's a story directly from a girl that said, "You know, I'm trying to do my AP history work, but please understand, I'm taking care of my little brothers and sisters in this household, and I don't have a place to work. I try to do it late at night uh, so I can keep up, but I don't know that I can get it all done. Um, I hear stories about um, parents not understanding the level of work and giving more assignments to their kids, or being frustrated because they can't help their students with their work. Um, I have a great math department and our math department really gets it. They really understand that there's things that the parents can teach. So we're doing a lot of recovery where we're allowing kids to make up assignments from before so they can improve their grades. And that's what I have been telling teachers. It should be a no harm policy in which people can improve their grades. Shouldn't be just enrichment, let's try to teach, let's try to get forward. But let's understand that it's a no harm policy. when we try to stick with that letter grade idea, what we're doing is we're putting the pressure into the teachers to do more and more. And in reality, we're hurting kids. I think the pass-fail makes a lot more sense as you have the kids kind of And What the California Department of Ed was recommended was 51% and above, it's a pass. So if you got 51% and above and a kid already did 51%, then it's going to pass that class. Now we can improve that. Now, I also don't believe that a kid that was doing F work all alone and was not doing assignments before all of this happened should not have to work. They should be able to give it the opportunity to make up the assignments, but they should work to try to recover all the all the time.
0: So, so when I was out at Artesia, one of the things you told me that has really stuck in my head is schools are systems within systems within systems. And you also said that Building kind of improving artesia was really about building relationships It was you building relationships with teachers teachers building relationships with students you building relation It was like all the relationships. So What's your system for building relationships in this we in this online environment? I know you have one
1: (laughs) Uh, We do We actually are meeting with teachers and instead of meeting in a big group and doing a big Zoom meeting with all of our teachers, what we're doing is we're meeting with department heads first on my leadership teams. Then the leadership teams are meeting with their own departments, kind of like you would do a department meeting, just that we're doing it in Zoom. And administrators are sitting in every one of those. I'm bouncing from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting between all of them to make sure that I see every one of the teachers. We're doing that at least every three weeks, if not every two weeks. Um, just to make sure. In addition to that, I um, have a whole Google Classroom set, set up that I can go and look at teachers work in the Google Classroom. And I also, we have a sign in sign out and as much as office hours for teachers that I try to join in also, as well as we have documentation of what the assignments are going out to kids. We're making phone calls. It wasn't easy for all our kids to join online. So making being in constant communication with the teachers, but also the parents. Being able to communicate with the parents that said, hey, we haven't seen Johnny in class this week. What happened? We haven't seen him today. How come that person is not here? The, we had at one point, we had about 50% of our kids not getting online. And uh, we've been able to solve that to just a few kids. I can't give you an exact percentage, but what we discovered is that the teachers that had great relationships with their kids, every kid got online. Kids, teachers that were kind of halfway through, you know, they got on 50%. So it's a great reflection of relationships. It was another way for put, for me to push the relationship issue with my teachers and we got to work on this relationship. How are we tracking this? The big part of the system though, that I don't think every school is doing is I'm requiring my teachers that if there's a problem with a kid and there's a way not to happen, they have to make a phone call home to those kids. It's not a good enough to send an email. If they're not getting online, an email is not gonna do it. The kid is not gonna check an email. He's not getting it online. More than likely the parent doesn't have the skills to be able to get online and check that email or doesn't have the ability because of work or computer issues to do so. So picking up the phone and making a personal contact, it's a huge difference for our population. Also remember we're 20% special education and 19% ELD. So when we, that's the population. Uh, English
0: language developing.
1: English language learners. So as you're looking at that, and there's some crossover between those two populations, the 19 and 20%, but very few high schools will be at that level. And we have to be able to reach out. We have eight, a pair of professionals that are making daily phone calls, keeping track and providing assistance to our kids to making sure they can do the assignments that they're able to go through it. So that was the big scramble of the first week. It was to create those systems, to create their routine for our students that this was something they had to do. We also, our counselors are making uh, contact with the kids. What we discover is most of our kids are up way up late at night. And so we're up late at night also trying to reach them if we can't reach them during the day. I had a counselor contact somebody at midnight the other day and she said, when I start calling after 10 o'clock I get 30 second responses. And when it's during the day, it takes a long time that's a day for the response. But if it's after ten, I'm getting thirty second responses. So everything is fair at this point. As long as they're getting an academic education, we're gonna go for it.
0: So ABC has a ABC Unified District has a rather unusual partnership with the teachers Union. Has that been part of the response, or is that I mean, is that has that played a role? I think everything's embedded and that
1: whole partnership that we have, everything's embedded with our union. My union reps have been very supportive of all the different policies. Um, I can tell you that I know that the board is talking to our union president constantly, that our school district is talking to our union president. The fact that we haven't got the resistance, we haven't got a a lot of the issues that districts have had and that we're able to deploy all of these systems into place without really any major pushback. I think it's also the
0: partnership. It's a it's a very long partnership that you've developed. So it's it's kind of seamless Absolutely. at this point. So Absolutely. so have you been able to think about re-entry plans, or is that just too far in the future? As far as
1: reentry plans, we're talking about how much how much coverage we're gonna to have to do, how much curricular coverage we're gonna to have to do with our students. And I think it's gonna be a play-by-play. We also are wondering whether the state Usually in California we test the juniors. And we're gonna to have to test juniors and seniors next year. Um, we happen to have a WAS coming up. Um, and we wanna make sure we get another six-year accreditation with no visit like we did the last time. So, with that happening, we're thinking about what do, how do we pull everything into play? A master schedule. We always have our department heads be part of the master schedule, be part of it locally. We have taken a vote on our schedule, so we're gonna continue in block schedule next year, but um, putting those classes together assigning how do we do that online? Um, I think all my work at Pepperdine and my educational technology doctor that I, didn't find, I haven't finished uh, really help with the synchronous communications that we are putting together with our teachers. Uh, we're gonna do a similar approach with our master schedule. We, I really want them to be part of the building of the master schedule that we have done for the last 15 years. And, but it may be myself, another teacher, and my assistant principal working on the old-fashioned uh, master schedule that we haven't done for a long time.
0: You know, you know, I love talking about master schedules. <laughs> <laughs> you taught me about master schedules. Um, so what do you, like, what do you do day to day now? Like, what's your, what's your day look like?
1: I can tell you. Day to day, I'm talking to counselors because we're at the same time that we're closed, we're doing registration. So we're registering all our eight credits and we're doing, move to an online system for registration. So counselors are working on numbers, they're working on getting kids, checking on kids. That, so we're tracking all of that. We usually are working from nine to one on a daily basis, Monday through Thursday. Fridays, we're off. And it's checking with counselors, checking with the secretary that is in to make sure what, what's happening with parents. The district has also set up an emergency line, an 800 number. So responding to that emergency line calls that we, we get, responding to needs that parents may have, uh, making sure that people are taking social distancing serious, seriously when we're sitting there passing out lunches. So going out and actually passing out lunches with the, the security team and with the nutrition services team to make sure that is happening efficiently. Uh, redesigning that system to make sure we can fit enough cars in the parking lot so we're not backing up traffic. So it's a little bit of everything. I haven't had a boring day yet. This week, sitting at home on spring break, probably going to be the biggest challenge, making sure that I'm not bored and I'm doing something special. So I got all these projects I have around the house. But um, at work, I can't. I haven't had one day that is the same yet. So I can't tell you we have a routine. But I know that I don't have enough hours in the day disinfecting classrooms, making sure that our classrooms are clean, that our custodian crew is there. Actually today our custodian crew is at work. I'm going to go by there, make sure that everything is happening. So it hasn't stopped. I can tell you that um, one of the directors and I were talking about, we're working harder now than we were before. Uh, Even staying from home and having to answer emails and just keeping track of
0: people. I'm not surprised you're working harder than ever before. Thank you so much, Mr. Garcia. We, we may circle back at some point to, um, to see how you're progressing. I hope that's okay. It's always a
1: pleasure. Happy to do it anytime.
0: So we at Ed Trust hope you and your family at Arte- and, and everyone at Artesia stay safe and healthy. That's the most important. And um, I really appreciate your taking the time out of your day. I know, I Happy know you are busy. You are always busy. So I want to introduce my colleague now from Ed Trust, Dr. Tanji Reed Marshall. Tangie is a longtime English teacher who taught in both New Jersey and North Carolina and is now Ed Trust's director of practice. Tanji, what did you think about Mr. Garcia, what he just said about putting in place systems to manage those relationships um, in this rather, you know, distancing time? I think the power that I found was clearly in his commitment to
2: ensuring that what was in play, to use his words, what was in play before COVID-19 school dis- distance learning is still in play during this time frame. So I think that's been the most unique to hear and the most important because I think we're really careful and concerned about how kids move between both spaces. And you don't want to have any additional loss that you might already have with kids not being caught up, not knowing where they are, not knowing if you can get a hold of them. So I was particularly intrigued when he said that uh, his counselor reached out to somebody at midnight. And that's when he got some responses, right? Because one of the things that you and I have talked a lot about, caring is context. And if we understand context, then we understand midnight, while it might seem a little bit odd in my mind. It makes perfect sense in the mind of his particular counselors and students, because that context is clear and it's culturally specific to that context. And that's always important. And I was also intrigued when he talked about the need to think about next year and the curriculum. What are they going to do? Are they going to test? How will they deal with the master schedule? You and I have talked about master schedules. What does that mean now? When we look at students through different eyes, because they haven't been there, um, and so that's kind of what I've been tracking and thinking about, as you know, as Mr. Garcia was talking. But I loved the communication, you know, and and he said, the work does not stop. People think that when you say school's closed, that school's closed, closed. <laughs> it's not closed, closed. <laughs> right?
0: People the are in building the of- even the building right. isn't closed, which right, I was uh, right, like actually building, interested in
2: right like the building of school is not closed because school is more than just this place where information travels between bodies so i think that's a real you know really important piece that he brought up there
0: yeah well they're feeding 600 people a day 600 cars are coming up or right. or people probably walking up it's not it's it's embedded in a neighborhood but it serves a rather large geographic area so not That's everybody true. can walk um so he's traffic cop he's counselor he's uh curriculum director crossing guard <laughs> crossing guard he's everything um once again demonstrating uh, uh not to you know like pound a uh, pound a, a nail over and over but demonstrating the power of school leadership that yeah he is demonstrating to everybody he he's not above handing out uh, lunches. lunches right that's important not only not only the handing out of the food but I don't know if you caught this but he was saying I want to make sure everybody follows the right you know, understand social distancing as they get the food. So he's playing an educative role,
2: right? Exactly. That's the
0: educative role. Educative role,
2: that's right. Right. Because he wants to make sure they're taking social distancing seriously because the natural inclination is if someone hands you food, you walk right up to them and you get the food or you're like, you know how we think about lines, you're right behind the other. And so now how we even have a construct of what a line looks like is very different and to make sure people are paying attention to whatever structures and systems he has in place. You know, that's, that's kind of the the issue too, not really even an issue, but you want to ensure safety and the dynamism of a school building that serves not just the people inside the building, but the surrounding community is also, I would imagine going through Mr. Garcia's head is how do I keep a community safe? Because now even the, The bandwidth, uh, no pun intended, right, of what a community is all about is also extended. So it just keeps these concentric circles, just keep extending and and moving back. So I think that's really an interesting idea um, that he's really concerned about the community and the communication and making sure that the systems are in place, because that's what a leader does.
0: And one of the things I, Forgot to ask him about was this, uh survey of ed trust west um, yeah. so so ed trust new york did a survey of uh, Parents in new york and ed trust west in california also did a survey and they found that parents are very worried That their kids are going to fall back academically low-income parents and parents of color are even more worried Um about that and I imagine his parents are very worried about that um, they, many of them are working really hard so that their kids can have a better education and a better life than they grew up with. And this is going to make it more difficult. There's no question about that. It's it's going to put everybody behind the eight ball and it's going to be up to Artesia High School to help their students not allow this to right. to put them back
2: but I'm, I'm i'm struck by the notion of sensitivity that mr garcia talked about because i think as we go back to school and you heard me say it we are going back <laughs> um, the 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 idea that people have to be sensitive is going to be really important and the level of patience people are going to have to have understanding that next year everybody is essentially a first year teacher again right so this year you know everyone's going back into this disrupted environment and what does that mean by way of how we structure a couple of things how we structure not just the delivery of, of knowledge knowledge building but what are the what are the elements of the actual knowledge we want kids to have, right? And so that's gonna really be a big question, how we think about assessing students. We have a very specific way in our country of looking at and measuring students. And so in this space, we've had to put a halt on that. The question is, what do we learn about kids learning now that we have we don't have that marker at the end right so what does it mean when they all go back and mr garcia and his master schedule team right the assistant principal and some teachers and and his curriculum team what does it mean to now think about students absent a number right like that becomes a really important question that we don't have the number now so what bucket do we put the child in? And so now our buckets have holes in them. And so now what? You know, where do we put students? How do we educate them? This gives us an opportunity to ask ourselves some really big questions.
0: So we're going to have to check back in with him in in a little bit and see how he answers them. So that wraps up this third episode of the Education Trust podcast, Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times our aim is to bring you the voices of thoughtful educators grappling with all the questions of equity and excellence that face all educators today. Please subscribe so you're notified of new episodes. If you think this is valuable, recommend us to your friends and leave a review wherever you get this podcast. And if there is a particular educator you'd like to hear from, let me know who and why. You can email me at extraordinarydistricts at edtrust.org or tweet at EdTrust, or tweet me personally at at Karen Chenoweth, or Tangi at at Remarsh76, that's capital R-E-M-A-R-S-H-76. Someday I'll ask you why you chose that Twitter name. <laughs> ah. Mike Patillo <laughs> records and edits this podcast from Tonal Park. He was able to record our conversation through the magic of Zoom, Thanks to the whole team at EdTrust for helping get this podcast launched. Robin Harris, Jack Fleming, Keith Curry, Nicole Grayson, Karen Lomax, Takira Winfield-Dixon. I'm probably forgetting someone and I apologize. And thank you to the Wallace Foundation for providing financial support for this podcast. Thanks and see you next time.